it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner.
Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and that was, of course, the worst Beatle cover ever as part of Schlocktober. Uh, Schlocktober 2020 featuring new odd and horrible recordings, uh, some some by celebrities, some not. But uh, anyway, that's how we start the show every day in October while everybody else is celebrating Oktoberfest and Schlock... Or, Shocktober and Rocktober, we celebrate Schlocktober. But we got a great show. We're gonna we're gonna shift gears now and uh, get into our show coming up a little later in the show. We're gonna talk to Kevin Mays, the owner of a new uh, basketball franchise as uh, part of the basketball league called Flint United. Um, and uh, we're gonna find out what's going on with that professional basketball coming to Flint, and uh, also. We're going to have a musical guest, as we do on Fridays, to kick the weekend off early. Uh, we'll have uh, Anthony Lee from the Mercurials, and we'll hear music from the Mercurials, and we'll have Anthony Lee and maybe some others. But first, we're going to talk about murder, um, <laughs> as, as if we couldn't get more serious. Uh, but actually, uh, we're going to talk uh, to the author of a, of a new book, or fairly new book, uh, called Killing Women. The True Story of Serial Killer Don Miller's Reign of Terror. And uh, the author of that book, Rod Sadler, joins me by phone. Rod, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, and and my apologies for making you sit through Schlocktober, by the way. Oh, I thought that was a rendition uh, maybe done by Jim Neighbors. Um, <laughs> no, but, but, but you know, um, that's a pretty good guest, and, and Jim Neighbors has made it into uh, Schlocktober offerings in past years. I don't know if we'll be hearing from him again this year or not, but uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> that would be a good guess if we were if we were playing that game. But let me ask you this, Rod. This is this is pretty serious stuff. This is the true story of serial killer Don Miller, who uh, raped a 14-year-old girl and tried to murder her and her 13-year-old brother, was captured. And then uh, police suspected him in the disappearances of four other women. And they made a uh, what is still considered a very controversial plea deal um, in order to find the location of the bodies of those four missing women. Um, Miller not only, uh, uh, of course we don't have the death penalty in Michigan, but he not only escaped the death penalty, but he's expected to be uh, released in 2031. Um, Rod, what got you interested in this this particular story, and enough so to, to write a book about it? Well, I had uh, already written my first two books, uh, and I really enjoy writing. As uh, I, I'm a retired police officer, and after 30 years in law enforcement, I realized how much I enjoy writing. Um, back early, uh, before I actually started college, uh, I was graduating from high school, and following this story, knowing that they suspected um, a criminal justice major from MSU. I grew up in Williamston, which is uh, about 20 miles to the east of East Lansing. And uh, so I thought, well, that's an interesting, it's an interesting case for one thing. 
And and the other reason was that people have forgotten uh, what Don Miller did and who Don Miller is. And it's very important that people remember that because Don Miller is scheduled to be released from prison in 2031. And and that 10 years is going to go by faster than, than any of us really wants to uh, admit. <laughs> I, I truly believe that, yes. Um, so you were already interested in writing. Um, how long have you been retired, Rod? Uh, I retired in 2012 uh, from the Eaton County Sheriff's Office in Charlotte. Uh, and... Uh, I had late in my career, I'd gone back and finished my bachelor's degree, and, and part of that was a lot of writing. And uh, my first book, um, which was about a, a gruesome murder in Williamston in 1897, uh, that was so fun to write. And uh, I just, I really enjoyed it. And that's how it all started, I guess. Now, with a, a story like this one, in order to tell the story, um, you would have had to do, uh, you were following the story, but you would have had to do a lot of research to put this book together. Does the fact that uh, that you um, were a police officer help in knowing where to look and also getting people to talk to you, um, because, you uh, because you speak police? <laughs> yeah, I do speak police. And <laughs> my wife hates it, but uh, I will tell you um, that's a great question because uh, I like I like to tell people that um, my ability to write about Don Miller's case uh, comes from a really unique perspective. One that I was in law enforcement for thirty years. Uh, second, I worked for the Eaton County Sheriff's Office. And that's where Don Miller was captured for the for the rape of uh, a 14 year old victim and the attempted murder of her and her brother. Uh, and I realized as I began to get into this case that uh, I had built so many relationships over the years with so many of the people involved in this case, including uh, the police officers, the detectives the judges, the attorneys, even Don Miller's own defense attorney. Um, those were people that I, that I knew, uh, that I had uh, professional and personal relationships with, and that made it much, much easier, I think, for me um, to research this case. Um, and, and your interest in, in writing, and I want to talk about the case some more, but I want to talk a little bit about, about your writing. Is, is this, uh, do you have a, a publisher? Is this uh, uh, book been published by a uh, publisher, or, or are you self-published? Well, actually, uh, the first two books that I did were self-published, and uh, on this particular book, I thought, you know, I'm going to try for a traditional publishing deal. So, uh, I did a lot of research on how that's done, and it is a, a laborious process, I will tell you that. Um, uh, you have to do a book proposal. Um, most everything now in today's age is done online through email. Um, but once that proposal is done, I had to look up specific um, literary agents that dealt with um, uh, true crime stories. And then I had to look up uh, how they want their submissions done. And you have to follow those directions very, very closely, because if you don't, 
your your proposal ends up in the deleted file. So I did that, and I actually queried 50 different agents, and I got offers from two of them to represent me. And I chose Lang- Langton's International in New York City, and uh, they were thrilled uh, at my book proposal. And it was a, a couple months uh, when I finally received word that I had garnered a publisher, uh, Wild Blue Press out of Colorado. Um, they do a lot of true crime stories, and and uh, it's really been a pleasure to work with them. Now, I had to, I, I'm curious, when you were... Uh when you were writing the other two books that you did, um, are, are they also crime stories? They are. Uh, my first book uh, was called To Hell I Must Go. And uh, I'll just give you a quick synopsis. A, a guy came home from uh, work one day at lunchtime to discover that his wife had lopped off his mother's head and put it on a plate for him for dinner. Oh, I hate when that uh, happens. Uh, I know. I know, and uh, she was declared insane. It's a uh, it's a quick read. Uh, my interest in that particular book uh, was uh, my great great grandfather was the Ingham County Sheriff at the time, and so uh, I had come across this article about this murder and saw his name in it and knew that 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 had to be a book someday. So I waited until the end of my career to do it um, after I had retired. The second book. Um, came about I, I was talking to an attorney that I know and he was describing a case he had worked on uh, an appeals case in the early 70s about a murder in 1955 in Stockbridge and I remembered uh, that particular case not because I was born in 55 but I can remember driving past the, the house as a kid and my parents saying oh yeah that's where they found that couple in the barn and that was a double murder uh, by an escaped convict from uh, Jackson Prison. So those two uh, books, the, the second one was titled A Slayer Waits, uh, because his case uh, languished in the courts for about 30 years and was scheduled to be heard before the United States Supreme Court. And the Michigan Attorney General's office uh, was concerned. They were concerned that he was going to get out on a technicality. And so that was a, an interesting book to write because the uh, escaped convict's attorney, although he's deceased, the, the suspect, uh, his attorney was still practicing law. So I met with him and, and he was really valuable in, in the research for that book. Yeah, I was, I was just curious if you um, had, had written at all while you were still working, but we'll get into that and more. I've got to, I've got to go to break here, um, uh, I was going to say Don. <laughs> That's okay. Rod, um, I, I have to take a short break here, but can you stick around for about four minutes and, and we'll get into this some more? Absolutely. All right. I'm talking with uh, Rod Sadler. He is the author of a new true crime story um, about uh, serial killer Don Miller's called um, Killing Women. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. Uh, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever we they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as Hello well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, early gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use MasterCharge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with the author of a new book uh, called Killing Women, the True Story of Serial Killer Don Miller's Reign of Terror. Um, He is a uh, retired police officer turned author, Rod Sadler, and he joins me by phone. Rod, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, Rod, we were talking a little bit uh, during the break about uh, your previous books, um, both crime stories, and um, are all of your your books so far crime stories uh, that happened in Michigan? Yes, yes, they are. Um, I've actually started researching my fourth book, which will involve uh, a cold case here in Michigan, also. Interesting. Um, are there a lot of cases in Michigan where once the headlines die down? that have just been completely forgotten? Oh, I, w- I would absolutely agree with that, yeah. It, there is an endless supply of material out there for a true crime author, and uh, you're exactly right. Once the headline disappears, uh, a lot of times so does the case. Uh, I don't think it ever disappears for the officers investigating them. Um, or certainly the victims' the families. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, they have a lifetime to live with that. Now, in this book, uh, Killing Women, um, this is an interesting story for a variety of reasons. Um, one, of course, is uh, the way that Don Miller was apprehended. He, he had raped a, a 14-year-old girl and and tried to murder her and her brother, he was caught by police, but they figured out that he was uh, responsible for the disappearances of four other women. So they, uh, through a chain of events, a plea deal was negotiated that allows Miller to be released in 2031 in exchange for the location of the bodies. Um we were talking in the last segment a little bit about your police connections and the fact that, you know, you were a police officer here in Michigan, and when you investigate uh, or um, research for a book like this one, Killing Women, um, you have contacts and, and are able to talk to the people who were involved in these things. Um what about the victims' families? Were you able to talk with them? Was was that part of the story that, that you tell? It was. Um, I was able to contact uh, contact a young lady who whose sister was murdered by Don Miller. As a matter of fact, it was Don Miller's first known victim, Martha Sue Young. And uh, I spoke with her sister, and interestingly enough, before she would answer any questions, she said, uh, I want to know why you're writing this book. And as I stated um, earlier in the interview here, uh, I, I wrote this book, or at the time I was writing this book, um, because people have forgotten who Don Miller is, and people have forgotten what Don Miller did. And people need to know that Don Miller is going to get out of prison in 10 years. Um, so I was able to talk with her. She was the only uh, 
the only family member that I spoke with. Um, I did interview the the man that he's a man now. He was 13 at the time um, that survived the attack by Don Miller um, as his sister was being raped. Um, and he was very interesting to talk to. Um, and so those were really the only two uh, victims or victims family per se that I spoke with. And in the, in the process of, of telling this story, you just mentioned uh, a first known victim. Is uh, Don Miller suspected in, um, in other cases that, that maybe don't have a resolution? I will tell you that every law enforcement officer or attorney that I spoke with that was involved in the case felt that Don Miller, that, that Martha Sue Young was not his first victim. Do I have any evidence to prove that or do I suspect that? Honestly, Tom, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, but I can tell you that everybody that was directly involved in this case, uh, other than his defense attorney, uh, felt that Martha Sue was not his first victim. So, uh, so in essence, it is suspected that there were other victims. I, I think it's a common belief. Yes, I, I would say that's a, a very, very good assumption. Now, you you've written two books before this one. This one is is out on the shelves now, and you're working on a a fourth book, another crime story. Um, is it fair to say that you've gotten the bug? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I have the bug. Uh, it just I have to find the time to work on them. Uh, the research um, takes a lot of time. It really does. And then beyond the research and the writing, uh, the whole um, search for a publisher uh, that I spoke about earlier, that takes a lot of time too. So, And then once you find the publisher... Um, it can take uh, 18 months before you see anything in print. So it's a three or four year process to do a book, at least for me. Um, this is a strange time to be, uh, to have a book come out because of COVID-19. While people might be more inclined to read, it's, it's difficult to do the public appearances and the publicity that is typically associated with launching a new book. Um, have you run into some challenges about that? And, and do you feel like you're, you're missing out on not being able to do uh, uh, author nights and book signings and those kinds of things? I have. Um, I, I've actually done only one event uh, this year. It was the uh, I'll give it a plug here. The Festival of Oddities put on by Scream Queen Productions. Um, I've done two of them. And uh, the year before la uh, last year was their first uh, go around. And uh, they moved it to Charlotte this year. Uh, so I did that event. Uh, everybody there uh, had a mask on. They practiced the social distancing. Nobody got too close. It was a great time. And, and I think given certain precautions, uh, it can be done. I haven't had a lot of requests this year. I actually have one event scheduled next month, and uh, that was actually set up a year ago and canceled a couple times since the, uh, since the pandemic. 
but they're going to go ahead in early November with it, and and we'll take our precautions and make sure that everybody's safe. Do you enjoy that kind of interaction, and, and have you had a chance to get feedback from people about this new book, Killing Women? Uh, I've gotten some fantastic reviews so far, and I was able to get some pre-publicity plugs for the book from some people that were involved in the case, and uh, they were able to get advanced reader copies, uh, and they really enjoyed it. I've gotten really, really positive response so far. Um, and I always ask that about about uh, writers interacting with people because writing is such a, a solitary thing sometimes, as, as you pointed out. You do months and months of research, but then there's the actual writing where you're just sort of chained to a keyboard. Um, is... When you write, are you a very disciplined writer? Can you sit down with a, a designated time and and just say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna write a thousand words or so many pages," and um, or or are you more of a binge writer? You get the mood and you just write and write and write until it's time to take a break. Well, I'd like to write full time, uh, but that's not going to work right now. So I, I'm guess I'm more of a binge writer. Uh, if I find, uh, time, then I'll sit down and maybe spend two or three hours. I have spent entire days before, but those are few and far between. So it's always a challenge to find time only because I I am still working part time, even Uh, though I'm retired. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a law enforcement officer anymore. I'm, I'm working part time and just until my kids get through college and, then maybe I can settle down and, and write a little quicker. Maybe it won't take three or four years to put a book together. <laughs> yeah, it, it, can, uh, it can drag out, that's for sure. Um, and, and with that in, in mind, the, the, once a book, once a manuscript is finished, um, it, how do you address the whole process of editing? Is that something that's... that's done once once the publisher gets involved or do you do a great deal of editing before you ever let anybody put eyes on it well this was a a huge learning experience uh killing women was and that's because my first two books i i edited myself and then i had um some other people edit them because they were self-published um i'm killing women uh once i got the manuscript complete and I had an offer and the publisher said, we're going to go with a launch date in June. Well, this was a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And so I panicked and I sent them the entire manuscript without really looking it over. And they eventually sent it back and said, you have to pare this down. It was like 600 pages. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a lot of information in there. And, and their editing process was extremely thorough. They went through and said, you know, you don't need this. You don't need that. Um, I did learn that when you, uh, when you work on a MacBook and then you transfer it, uh, into a PDF to send to them, uh, it, it screws up the formatting. So that was a huge issue that had to be corrected. Um, and I think that's re- the reason that it took so long to get it on the shelf. Um, it was about a year and a half from the time I submitted the manuscript to the time when they said, hey, we've got a launch date for you. 
So uh, in the future, things will be a lot different. It was, like I said, it was a huge learning experience, and I loved every minute of it. Yeah, I would, I would imagine that it, that it would be. Um, do you think it'll be easier now going forward since you've been published by a publisher to um, get someone interested, for example, in, in this next book? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, interestingly enough, when you submit a, uh, a manuscript to a publisher or a literary agent, uh, each guidelines are, each person's guidelines are different. And for a, a nonfiction book, you only have to have like two or three chapters done and use that as an example for them. Whereas if you're writing fiction, they typically like to have your entire book done. Well, because this was nonfiction, true crime, I only had to have a couple chapters done. And in the future, when I submit to a new publisher or a literary agent, I'll make sure that the book is entirely done and, and edited at, at least to some degree. Um, in the best before. shape that you can put it before you send absolutely. it to them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, this. Uh, this is fascinating. Um, let's talk about this uh, this plea deal that Don Miller got. If that's, it seems like a very unusual uh, trade. Well, l- let me clarify uh, just a couple things for you, Tom. Yeah, please. Because this is a, this is important for people to understand. Don Miller is not in prison right now for murder. Don Miller is only in prison because he possessed a strangulation device in his prison cell when he was doing time for the murders. So let me jump back to uh, upon his conviction for the rape and the attempted murder of the two teenagers in Eaton County. Uh, Police already suspected him in the disappearance of his fiancée and three other women. One of those three other women's bodies had already been found, but there was no connection to Miller in that. So they still had three other missing women. They had his fiancée, they had uh, Wendy Bush from Michigan State University, and Christine Stewart, who was a teacher and came up missing walking home near Michigan State University. So when Miller was convicted in the rape, uh, he was sent to prison. While he was being tried for the rape, there was a grand jury that indicted him in two of the missing women cases. And when they did that, they did it without the bodies, uh, which is virtually unheard of. And they were going to prosecute him for second-degree murder in two of the missing women cases. So when Don Miller went to prison, um, there was a... um, some concern for the families that still had the missing victims. And they knew Don Miller wouldn't, would never give up the location of the bodies. So the prosecuting attorney at the time was Peter Houck, Ame County prosecuting attorney. And Mr. Houck had run his campaign on the premise that he would do away with plea bargaining. So it was an extremely difficult decision for him to make with the defense Um, in this plea deal where Miller would plead guilty to two counts of manslaughter and they would drop the second-degree murder charges before the trial. 
if within a week he would take them to the bodies. And so under regressive psychotherapy or hypnosis, basically, um, he admitted that he had murdered them and he came through on his end of the deal and took them to the locations of the bodies. And so he got um, 20 to 30 years for the rape and the sentence for the uh, manslaughter con um, plea deal was 15 years. Well, that sentence was served concurrently or at the same time as the uh, rape deal. And so under Michigan sentencing laws at, at the time, uh, Michigan sentencing guidelines, he was able to serve those at the same time plus get good time in prison. And so by the late 90s, he was absolutely going to be released in 1998. When was well, he originally captured? He was uh, arrested in 1978. Okay. In August of 78. So 20 years later, he had served that minimum time and he was due to be released. And a group of uh, people got together in the mid-Michigan area. They formed an, organiza an organization called CCAP, the Committee for uh, Community Awareness and Protection. And it was a group of attorneys, victims, uh, legislators, attorneys, and they were looking for some avenue to keep Don Miller in prison because he had served all of his time for all those things at the same time. And they came across uh, a case that uh, in his prison record from the mid-90s, 1994, I believe, when he was found with a strangulation device in his cell. It was, well, in his, his prison dorm. Uh, it was a garrote. It was a 72-inch shoelace that was knotted uh, in the middle. It had two uh, barrel-shaped buttons on either end, and the guard that found it immediately recognized it as a garrote or strangulation device. Miller was given uh, administrative punishment through the prison. They took away his good time and they shipped him down to Jackson. At the time he was in Kinross. So three years later, when CCAP comes across this, this um, possession of a weapon and realized that he'd never been charged criminally with that, uh, the Eaton County prosecuting attorney at the time, Jeff Sauter, uh, went to Chippewa County and met with uh, the prosecutor up there, and they chose to charge him after an investigation. And so he was charged with possessing that garrote, and he was charged with being a habitual offender. The importance of the habitual offender is that it allows the judge to go outside the sentencing guidelines if he's convicted. So it went before a jury. The jury was not allowed to know what Don Miller's history was. They were not allowed to know that he was a serial killer and that his method of operation was strangulation. Uh, if they were able to know that, it certainly would have pre prejudiced the jury. So they went into this kind of blind. They only knew that he was a prisoner at the prison and had possessed this strangulation device. And a jury of 12 convicted him in that. That allowed the judge to go outside the guidelines, and he gave Don Miller another 20 to 40 years in prison for that. And so that is today 
the only reason that Don Miller is still in prison for possessing that garage. Who was uh, Don Miller before he was arrested? Don Miller was uh, a very shy, quiet, um, introverted, uh, religious teen who, from everything I gathered, um, had a strict upbringing. He had a couple sisters. His mom was a nurse. His dad worked for the state. And, uh, you know, they did things together. They rode motorcycles, him and his dad. And, and I mean, he had a, a normal childhood by all rights. But everybody that knew him said that he was different. Um, he wore dress clothes all the time, uh, patent leather shoes. While uh, many of the teens in the early 70s were wearing blue jeans and tie-dyed shirts, he always wore a white shirt and black pants and dress shoes, and his hair was always slicked back, and he carried his trombone with him everywhere that he went. Um, so he was, um, everything that I've been able to find out, he was a little different, and that's what made him noticeable, is that because he was unassuming. Did he work at all? He worked uh, as a security guard when he was doing these murders. And in fact, uh, the, the young ladies whose body was found, um, Marita Choquette, uh, she had been stabbed uh, 19 times. And when they found her body, her hands were cut off. And the speculation was, that it was either somebody in the medical field. Uh, but there was one detective uh, for Eaton County who said, you know, you may be looking at maybe somebody involved in law enforcement. You know, maybe they cut her hands off because she had handcuffs on and maybe they were double locked. Well, guess what? That's exactly what it was. He had her handcuffed. He had handcuffs, his security guard handcuffs that had been issued to him by the security company, and they were double locked. He couldn't get them unlocked because he didn't have the key, so he ended up cutting her hands off to get his handcuffs back. Uh, an incredible, uh, incredible story. Um, Don, we're, we're just about out of time, but uh, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more the book is uh, killing women the true story of serial killer don miller's reign of terror by rod sadler rod do you have a website i do it is rodsadler.com uh, i also have a facebook page rod sadler author uh, i'm on twitter as rms author and i'm on instagram as rod sadler author uh, you can find copies of the book on amazon uh, at wildbluepress.com. And uh, Barnes and & Noble and Schuler's are both carrying the book. Uh, it's my understanding. And if you have a, a small bookstore that you like to shop from, they certainly can order the book uh, through Ingram's. So uh, it's available out there, and I've been really pleased with it. I think it's a very informative read. I make no judgment on whether or not uh, Mr. Miller is is cured well we've got, uh, i leave that up to the reader we've got to end it there rod but thanks so much for sharing uh, this time with us 
Thank you. Hi, this I is appreciate Joe Biden, you having the Blue Lions, Take care. And you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. 
a magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program Another five-minute mystery. See if you can solve the case before the end of the program. Well, Alice, one more block and you'll behold the Brooks household. Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own? Ah, it's true, all right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner. Well, I'm here now and I intend on having a perfectly wonderful time. Now, here we are. Oh, what a charming place this is. Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. (gasps) Jim, look! What? Where? There, on the living room floor. It's Dorothy, dead. Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questions. I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector. Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. Well, there's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited, expecting Alice, that is, Miss Miss Manning here, to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here. I had written Mrs. Brooks to tell her that I would call Jim at the office as soon as I arrived. The train was an hour late. Maybe if I had been here earlier, it may have been prevented. Hmm, well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Miss Brooks was sitting here in this chair putting red polish on her fingernails when she was shot from behind. The polish had spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish, D-O-C. D-O-C? I wish we could tell whose initials she was trying to reveal. Yeah, sure? You don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't. Oh, oh. Yes, Miss Manning, can you think of somebody with those initials? Well, I, I... D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Why, it can't be. Yes, Mr. Brooks. I haven't been called Doc in over two years. It was a nickname I picked up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. No one in New York even knows me by Doc. I've, you've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Hmm, well, that we'll see. Just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes. I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then then it wasn't Doc after all? No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear. Sumner, 
Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Oh, back to our story. How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train. Your train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Miss Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. That wasn't what really gave you away, though, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning? Join us again next time for another chance to solve a five-minute mystery.
Somebody spoke and I went into a dream.
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 